Okay, good morning. Welcome to Friday. Great to have you, company. It is Friday, June 4, 2021. All the news you need to know to start your day as we broadcast right around New South Wales here on the Super Radio Network. Uh, now, if you want to send me an email, you can do that right now. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Uh, text 0458-049-209. And you can follow us on social media as well. Just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and click on the show page. Plenty of content up there, podcasts, links to the stories that go into a little more detail than we do here on the air. And you can send us direct messages as well. Give me a call, though, 13 12 69 on this Friday, June 4. Good morning. It's after 5, 13, 12, 69, the open line number. Being a Friday, we're going to catch up with Mark Latham, as we always do. He's made the news today, One Nation. Politician Mark Latham's latest campaign sees him railing against a personal development, health and PE assessment task. Uh, that's a PDHPE task for those with little ones in school. Uh, Year 8 students at a school in the Hunter Valley were required to examine the various types of discrimination that occur in Australia and describe the positive impact of developing and celebrating diversity. All right, well, what exactly has got into uh, Mark's craw about this? We'll speak to him about it later. Students are invited to choose from a wide range of possibilities, including race, Uh, particularly Indigenous, refugees, disability, LGBTQI, gender, religion and immigrants. Uh, Look, I don't know. Is this where we're up to again? What's with all the virtue signalling? I've got no problem with people studying these kinds of things, but shouldn't we leave it until university? You know, once all of our children have learnt to read, write and add up, Anyway, I'll talk about this a little bit uh, in detail this morning and we'll also speak to Mark as we do each and every Friday. Now, yesterday, as you know, we were talking very early on in the program about banking services disappearing from regional New South Wales. Uh, We've got a couple of Commonwealth banks that will close their doors today in areas where, to be quite honest, they probably shouldn't. So Andrew G is the MP who's jumping up and down about this and he wants the federal government to maybe look into it. I don't know what the federal government can do considering you know banks are beholden to nobody but their shareholders. But anyway, uh, we'll speak to Andrew about it, the issue in general, uh, because the closing of bank branches on main streets in regional areas is leading to the decline, if you like, of a lot of business activity on these streets and in these small regional towns. 
For instance, Molong will no longer have a bank in its main street. So where will people go? Well, to the nearest biggest town. They, I don't know, they might go to Orange. Or they might go to Bathurst. What happens to the small business operators in Molong on the main street that were reliant on people going to do business at their local bank? Farmer, farmers, other small business operators, elderly people. What happens? Well, they're not going to spend their discretionary income at the local hairdresser, at the local butcher, at the local whatever. Bakery, not going to get a coffee. Well, they will. They'll do all of this stuff, but they'll do it at the the bigger town where the bank is, in the main street. Anyway, Andrew G on that a little later this morning. Uh, By the way, I see that Four Corners have dropped a program on the Prime Minister's links to a QAnon conspiracy theorist. Uh, Look, I don't know whether that's appropriate or not. It's almost like censorship in a way, but uh, Mark wants to talk about that this morning as well. And, of course, he'll have a crack at the Labor leadership woes which no doubt will continue after this morning. Now, there is a, a, a meeting, a caucus meeting of Labor in Sydney this morning. That's, of course, New South Wales State Labor. Chris Minns, Michael Daly will both need to present 15 signatures for them to contest the leadership. If either of those gentlemen don't have the 15 signatures... Well, then they can't stand. But if they both do, which I suggest is probably going to be the case, then the rank and file will vote on the next leader for New South Wales Labor. And that could take, well, upwards of two, maybe three months. Two, maybe three months. It's a long time. Uh, Some say that, you know, this is the the fairest way, allowing the rank and file and all the Labor members in the state to, to actually have their vote. That may well be the case, but, I mean, who's going to hold the government to account in the meantime? If you want to have your say on this, 13 12 69, that's the open line number, 13 12 69. A massive gap has been left in the Tokyo Olympics workforce. See, I've got to be honest, I don't even know why these things are going ahead. 10,000 volunteers have quit over concerns regarding the pandemic. Uh, Professor Kirsten Holmes from Curtin University says that for many, being a volunteer is more than just doing the work, and that is true, but again, most of the, uh, I don't know, how are they going in in Japan in regards to the pandemic? Pretty much like most other countries around the world, it's, it's still festering and it's still an issue. And I get that it'd be devastating for for people who've trained all their lives to participate in an Olympic Games, but, I mean, other things have been cancelled. Is it worth risking the health? Anyway, the head of the Tokyo Games confirms the delayed event will go ahead, though. So they're saying it's game on, and the Tokyo Olympics will go ahead. That's despite the fact that, well, they are short on volunteers. 13, 12, 69, if you want to have your say. Marcus Paul. 
Right now, Australians subjected to more than seven days in lockdown will be able to get up to $500 a week in support payments if their workplace closes. This was the federal government's response to what's going ha- what's happening in Victoria. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has announced a new weekly temporary COVID disaster payment. And it will go to people who work more than 20 hours a week or $325 for people who work less hours in the second and any subsequent weeks of a state-ordered lockdown. So in other words, any state that orders a lockdown, there will be a temporary COVID disaster payment. The first seven days, they are matters entirely for state and territory governments as they wish to provide support. If a lockdown as a result of a state public health order continues in an area that is also defined as a hotspot by the Chief Officer of the Commonwealth, then we will be providing support payments for those affected areas. So there we go. So those subjected to more than seven days in lockdown will be able to get up to $500 a week in support payments if their workplace closes. It's not quite jobs uh, JobKeeper, but it's something. Now, to be eligible, the person must have less. I mean, there's a lot of hoops, I have to say, t- to kind of jump through here. But to be eligible, the person must have less than $10,000 in assets and have exhausted pandemic leave, although they don't have to use annual leave. The person must not be receiving any kind of income support like JobSeeker and must be an Australian citizen or have the relevant work visa. Well, what do you make of it? Who qualifies for the payments? Anybody age 17 plus, having less than $10,000 in liquid assets, an Australian resident or permitted to work here in Australia, works or lives in a hotspot, unable to attend work or earn an income because of restrictions and not receiving income support or other pandemic payments. Now, the payment kicks off, or kicks in rather, after the first seven days of hotspot declaration. The hotspot must be defined by the Commonwealth's Chief Medical Officer. So the Prime Minister will take this plan that he announced yesterday to National Cabinet, where states will be asked to agree on how to split the costs of the payment. Uh, Mr Morrison suggested the household payment would either be shared 50-50 with states or that possibly the Commonwealth would cover the full amount if states covered the full amount of any support given to businesses during lockdown. Uh, The PM also said the payment could be extended to just a particular suburb, such as the Northern Beaches lockdown we had last Christmas here in Sydney, or an entire metropolitan area, as is currently the case in Melbourne. He also said it could be applied even more broadly to a whole state if the Chief Medical Professor, Paul Kelly, determined the entire region a hotspot. As we know currently... The federal government considers a metro area a hotspot if the rolling three-day average was 10 locally acquired cases per day or 30 cases in three consecutive days. For regional areas, it's three cases on average or nine cases across three consecutive days. However, a hotspot declaration can also be made 
if there is a case of infection in the community with a more transmissible variant and the potential for wide community exposure. The outbreak in Victoria, which is currently the Indian strain of COVID-19, known as the Kappa variant, uh, and that's a concern. And again yesterday, what was it? I think it was another five cases of this Kappa variant. All right, give me a call. What do you make of these uh, these payments? It is something. Um, and look, fair's fair. Uh, look, a lot of people will come out this morning and say it's not enough. But when is it ever enough, I guess? It is something that will help. 22 minutes after five. Marcus Ball in the morning. Welcome to Friday. It is June the 4th. And Hootie and the Blowfish. Only want to be with you. Blowfish, Marcus Paul in the morning. We'll go to the news 5.30 in just a couple of moments. Did you know today is Crazy Socks for Docs Day? The Crazy Socks for Docs movement came out of the responses that the founder, Dr. Jeff Toogood, experienced when he happened to wear odd coloured socks to work. (laughs) Hang on. I wear odd socks to work every day. It's nothing like floundering around 3.30 in the morning looking for the same pair of socks. Anyway, the talk behind his back was that he was failing again. In reality, he was well, and his socks, apart from the last two odd socks that he was wearing that day, had all been eaten by his new puppy dog. There we go. Rather than start a discussion about whether he was okay, there was whispering behind the scenes, and as a result of this experience, the doc established Crazy Socks for Docs Day. It's quite serious. It is an attempt to address the stigma around mental health in doctors and to make it okay for a doctor not to be okay. You sport and weather now. All right, it is Friday. Great to have you company. June the 4th, 13, 12, 69. Uh, I got a note here from the state government. The New South Wales Electoral Commission is recruiting more than 30,000 people across New South Wales to deliver the 2021 local government elections. They say they need enthusiastic people with excellent customer service skills. There are a range of jobs available, and you may be marking names off the electoral roll, managing an entire polling place, or being a ballot box guard. That's according to Wayne Morgan, the Commission's Director of the Election Support Services. There's jobs on Election Day, of course but there's also positions to be filled that begin up to eight weeks before the election. All staff complete training, form part of a larger team working together to deliver the election and are paid at a competitive rate. If you are available, well, could be an opportunity. Election officials perform a range of tasks on election day, including providing information to voters, sorting and counting ballot papers, supporting voters as they cast their vote, working together to implement COVID-safe practices. Look, if you're looking for a gig, either, you know, some part-time permanent work leading up to the election, or maybe you want to earn some coin on election day itself, that's for the local government elections. It's, by the way, the local government election days are on Saturday, September 4, so if you're available, 
Um, and work is available right now, and interested applicants can submit an expression of interest by visiting this webpage, electionsnewsouthwales.gov.au. electionsnewsouthwales.gov.au. Put your hand up if you can. 13-12-69, the open line number. Uh, look, I wanted to do this a little early this morning, and I, um, when I go to a break, I'll check that the audio I'm going to play is suitable for broadcast. I know we're broadcasting. What are you worried about out there, Scruff? You got that look on your face, hey? Um, you might be editing out a little bit of stuff in a moment. There's a bloke called Isaac Butterfield. Yeah, you know him? Yeah, good. He uh, is quite controversial. He's an Australian comedian. And he's due to play, and we are broadcasting into Byron Bay at the moment. Isaac is due to play at a local venue up there in beautiful Byron Bay. But some of the locals have their knickers in a knot. They say that he spreads hate speech and that his comedy's off and all the rest of it. So I guess my point this morning with this is, so have we become that politically correct that we're not allowed satire anymore? And what about, you know, expression of speech or freedom of speech? You know, we all have a right to feel offended. I get that. But anyway, I'll play a little bit of his stuff in a moment. And... The odd thing is, people say that he's, you know, very right-winged and, and that some of his comedy borders on hate speech. I don't think so. I see a little bit of his stuff. He's very popular on YouTube, a bit like our mate Friendly Geordie's. He's certainly further right than Jordan is. And, of course, Jordan is dealing with his own issues right now, and that is being allegedly sued by the Deputy Premier of New South Wales for his satire and comedy skits that, well, probably have done more journalistic work than a lot of journos in exposing alleged corruption within the New South Wales National Party. But putting that aside, have we really become that... uh, What's the word? Um... PC, politically correct, more concerned about virtue signalling, that a comedian offends everybody. Anyway, it's something to talk about. If, you, if you're if you a lo- local up there in Byron, if you are a supporter of this bloke, give me a call. Um, he's all right, Isaac Butterfield. I'll send him a note on Twitter, see if he'll come on. We have a delay, so we'll be all right. Anyway, we'll, we'll do it. We'll send him a note and tell him we're talking about him on the radio this morning, Scruff, and um, he's taken to social media saying that, you know, he's going to cause all sorts of havoc up there now that some of the locals have got their knickers in or not. Uh, But to the broader question, I think, you know, why are we getting our knickers in or not? Because a comedian is running around apparently being a little naughty. If you want to have your say, 13, 12, 69... I speak uh, quite regularly, every week actually now, uh, we catch up with the New South Wales Minister for Police and Emergency Services, David Elliott. Something David and I always talk about, something he's passionate about and something that I want to support always, is the fight against 
frontline police and emergency service personnel being attacked while they are simply in the, in the course of doing their daily jobs. Well, a man will face court next month after an ambulance officer suffered a broken leg. He was allegedly assaulted in the Illawarra yesterday. At around midday, a 34-year-old man presented at Wollongong Hospital for treatment for a stomach complaint. Now, due to the man's demeanour toward triage staff, he was asked to leave the hospital by security. So he was obviously carrying on like a pork chop. A short time later, the man went home to an address at Mangerton and requested an ambulance by calling triple zero. He was treated by paramedics and then taken back to Wollongong Hospital where medical treatment was commenced. But for some reason, the bloke again became allegedly aggressive and abusive toward hospital staff who were trying to treat him. He was then escorted from the hospital by not one or two, but four security officers. A short time later, this bloke allegedly stood in front of the hospital driveway on Darling Street, blocking access to the hospital for two other ambulance ambulance vehicles, which were trying to actually get to the hospital. Now, a male paramedic from the second ambulance spoke with the man and attempted to move him away from the driveway to allow the ambulance into the hospital grounds as they had a patient on board in need of urgent medical attention. So it'll be alleged in court this morning the man refused to move or cooperate with Ambos and then grab hold of the ambulance officer and wrestled him to the ground. The man then threw the paramedic over his leg and fell on top of him. Now, the paramedic, a 57-year-old man with 33 years' experience as an ambo, suffered a broken leg, also a dislocated kneecap. Finally, police arrived and arrested this, this person. He was taken to Wollongong Police Station and charged with a number of offences, including reckless, grievous bodily harm, obstruct or hinder an ambulance officer by an act of violence and all the rest of it. This 34-year-old from Mangerton will need to explain his behaviour to a magistrate. And to be honest, I hope the magistrate throws the book at him. If it's happening in New South Wales today, you'll hear about it on Marcus Paul in the Morning. Chris Mint, you seem to have a lot of support from your colleague. Nominations open on Friday. Um, you know, I'll be honest, Marcus, I'm, I think we will get the 15 signatures and get myself to the next round. Um, and look, it's a difficult decision for uh, my parliamentary colleagues. I don't want to put any pressure on them. It's their call as to who they think is the best person to drive Labor forward, get competitive with the government. I think we need to be positive. I think the Labor Party's got good answers when it comes to working families and working communities. And I think if we are in the debate and explaining what we do differently, not just what's gone wrong with the government, then Mm. we've got a fighting chance in 2023. Marcus, Paul in the morning. A number of teams taking on the bye. I think my Raiders will struggle to get up against the bye this weekend. (laughs) Hello, Graham. How are you, mate? No, they'll win. They'll win with a late field goal. (sighs) Hope so. Marcus Paul in the morning.
welcome back. It's 11 to 6, 13, 12, 69. That's the open line number if you would like to have you say. Alex Chelios joining us this morning from the Big Smoke. We normally catch up with Alex earlier in the week, but being that we've had such a busy week on the program, we haven't had the chance. Uh, but I think we'll talk to her this morning. I'm looking forward to it as well. Alex Chelios from thebigsmoke.com.au. Look, wildlife conservationists from multiple organisations will rally together at Hyde Park this weekend in a hashtag koalas need trees campaign. Why will they condemn the New South Wales government's inaction on koala conservation? Okay, I'll talk a little bit more about it. The protest, by the way, will take place from 11am to 2pm tomorrow in Sydney's Hyde Park. Look, I'm sure it'll be uh, very peaceful and all the It's a koala protest, for goodness sake. I'm sure it will be peaceful. It'll see a number of organisations come together, including Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales, the Australian Conservation Foundation, the Bob Brown Foundation, all, there's plenty of others. Although Extinction Rebellion, they're kind of involved as well. I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't be because they've got a really bad rap. Animal Justice Party of New South Wales, uh, they'll be involved too. And the Greens with a couple of keynote speakers. We're told that behind closed doors, the New South Wales government is rewriting the codes that are meant to protect koala habitat on private land. And agribusiness and logging companies are right in their ear. That's why they're taking to the streets, to let the Premier, the Environment Minister and Planning Minister know that they won't stand for watered-down codes and the inevitable extinction of koalas in New South Wales by 2050 that will follow. Uh, look, who would have ever thought koalas would be such political hot, political hot potatoes? They, they certainly are. I mean, at the end of the day, the koalas and the SEP, uh, you know, the state planning uh, guidelines around koala habitat and logging permits and all the rest of it, agribusiness, almost led to a wedge between, well, it almost brought down the New South Wales government. As you know, late last year when we when we heard from a number of people who were concerned about the fact the New South Wales government was logging far too much koala habitat. And that's where this first idea of perhaps koalas becoming extinct by 2050 in the state of New South Wales came about. I mean, I think... At first, I just kind of thought it was all a little alarmist until I started looking into some of the stats... And the record amount of land clearing that's done in New South Wales. Now, obviously, we need to clear land because we need to log. And I've got nothing against these businesses. But it's a big state and there's plenty of room. Why is it that the logging seems to happen in a lot of koala habitats? You know, koalas have done it tough. Bushfires, droughts, all the rest of it before we even get to pulling down their trees. Anyway, we'll talk more about that a little later this morning as well, but there'll be a, uh, if you're interested, if you're a koala lover, we all are. Anyway, there'll be a, uh, a protest this weekend. The hashtag to follow if you're keen is hashtag koalas need trees. 
Um, some like using another one. Hashtag koala killer in relation to the Premier of the state, but that's a bit rough. Give me a call, 13 12 69, if you want to have your say. Our mate Sammy J has been at it again. Who have we got on the line there, Scruff? Damien is on the Damien, line. Damien, all right. Damien. Thank you. And we'll fix that up so we can see. Damo, good morning, mate. How are you? Oh, not too bad, Marcus. How are you, mate? All right, thank you, mate. Mate, these set laws, they're just the granny's way and whatnot to just kill off the timber industry in Australia. Yeah, look, I can understand that. Are you involved in that industry, are you? Yeah, mate, I've worked <clears> in sawmills and yep. I'm back out logging again now. Okay, yep. And um, like New South Wales State Forestry, they have tree markers and everything. They send people through the bush before yep. the loggers go out there. Mm-hmm. So they have certain trees that you cannot go near to koala habitat trees. So it's not like a lot of people think, oh, loggers just go out, rape, pillage and plunder. It's no, we have set guidelines that we've got to go through. And forestry's number one rule is you leave the bush in better condition than when you found it. Well, there you go. That's how how they've been able to manage it for years. What about those that argue that we've cleared far too much koala habitat and that, you know, the poor things might be extinct by 2050? Do you, do you call that alarmist talk? Is that something that you can't see happening, Damo? Well, in my 15 years of the industry, mate, I've seen three koalas. And one of them was when I was out with the missus and kids mm. in the National Park and they got to see a koala out in the wild. Yeah. The only other two times I've seen some, and it's instantly we just shut down, rang up, right, we've got a koala here, we can't log this place no more. Okay. So, I mean, the industry itself is is obviously very aware that, you know, koalas do need to be protected. Uh, I mean, yeah. I've heard other people... Uh, did John Barillaro call them tree rats? In one argument. Anyway, that's beside the point. All right, well, look, Damien, of course, there are two sides to every story, and I think it's important that we hear from the locking industry and agribusiness and, and people like yourself. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think for a moment, you're absolutely right, I don't think for a moment that people in your industry are going out deliberately destroying koala habitat. No, like I said, Marcus Forestry's golden rule that they stand by is you leave the bush in better condition than when you found it. Yeah, fair enough. Where are, where are you Even at the moment? Up at Grafton, mate. Oh, okay, yep. All right, well, we know there's plenty of pristine bushland up there that has been preserved for koala habitats, and we are, you know, in a lot of regional areas of New South Wales, we're preserving koala habitat areas that can't be logged. No, that's right. Yeah. And that does make it harder for us loggers. The other thing, too, that I've heard as well, Damo, and you'd be acutely aware of this, uh, we, we have a shortage of timber. I mean, the building industry is booming at the moment uh, with the home builder program, and I've heard that, you know, we're at the stage we're almost going to need to import timber, unfortunately, because there's just not enough of it. You guys can't keep up with the demand. Oh, that's, it's, it's unbelievable how many sort of trucks you do see carting logs and whatnot yeah. throughout the place. Mm. And... With, with all the recent fires and floods the last couple of years, it has just put everyone everyone's back step one, basically. Yep. All right, no well, one can keep up. 
Good on you, Damo. I'll leave it there because I've got to go to the news. It'll be worth getting on to New South Wales State Forest, Marcus. All right, mate. I'll do that. I've got to go to the news, Damo. Thank you very much for your call. Really appreciate it. Morning to you. Welcome to Friday. It is June fourth. It's just gone five past six. Marcus Paul in the morning. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. Now, being Friday, of course, we we're a little lighter, if you like, a, a, a little less politics. We still talk about the issues, but um, we like to play some satire and some comedy. And our mate Sammy J talking about another Melbourne lockdown for you very soon. If you want to have your say on anything, 131269, 2 click feedback for your emails. Uh, now, I, we broadcast along the mid-north coast of New South Wales. This program uh, goes into places like Lismore and um, Byron Bay. And I, uh, my attention was brought to this story, and I thought we'd talk about it today um, and, you know, Isaac Butterfield is his name. This bloke, he's a comedian. He channels, well, he's, he channels Ned Kelly. Uh, if you have a look at pictures of this bloke, uh, you'll see uh, that he actually dresses like Ned Kelly. And he's got a beard and a smoking pipe. He looks like, I don't know, a Ned Kelly hipster type of guy. But he's very, very funny. But he's... Nowhere near politically correct. The issue is that there are people up in arms on the mid to far north coast about his shows. For instance, on the Byron Bay Community Board, Robbie says, the far-right edgelord Isaac Butterfield is doing a show at the Byron Community Centre on Saturday night. He spreads hate under the guise of comedy, has made jokes about Jewish people, being gassed, Muslims who were killed in Christchurch, and he hates women, just giving people a heads up about this hateful human. Anyway, so Isaac's jumped on all of this and using it to sell tickets, of which he will sell out his shows. He's, look, he's very popular. Um, so much so that he's uh, he's got over 1.6 million subscribers, followers on YouTube. His most popular video currently has 6.1 million views. Many of his videos on YouTube have criticised cyclists, vegans and third wave feminism. He's also discussed conspiracy theories such as the myth that Australia isn't real. In stand-up comedy, he is first and foremost a very dark humorist, making jokes, as I mentioned earlier, about Things that are normally off-limits, like Muslim extremism, the Holocaust, pedophilia in the Catholic Church. My point this morning is, have we become far too politically correct to allow these sorts of performers? You know, at what point do we say no? 
we can't allow these people to perform in communities, even though, even though there's obviously there is a market for it. And it's an escape. I, I don't endorse most of the stuff that this bloke goes on about, but I respect his right to be able to do it. Last time I checked, we were a democracy and freedom of speech was a thing. Anyway, I played a little bit of Isaac's stuff, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it this morning. We have sent him a note uh, on Twitter. We sent him a message. We can get him on that. It'd be great. But here's a little of what he sounds like if you haven't heard him already. Did you know that if your mother breastfed you as a child, you are a bigot? You're transphobic and probably misogynistic as well. How do you feel about yourself? I spit on you. What I'm saying is if you sucked on your mother's nipples for sustenance and nutrition back when you were a little baby, then you are a piece of That's what I'm trying to get across to everyone who is watching this. Why are you so evil if you suck on your mama's titties as a baby? Let me tell you, it's finally time to do the right thing and ban the word breastfeeding and replace it with chest feeding. All right, so look what he does. He takes an issue uh, that the PC brigade are all up in arms about like chest feeding and he turns it on its head and he makes it funny. He basically takes the you know what out of it, like we you know like we've always done here in Australia. We're pretty good at taking the Mickey out of ourselves and some of the rubbish that people carry on with, and that's what satirists do. My point is, why are we getting people in places like Byron Bay, which by all accounts, you know, it's not real conservative? Why are people jumping up and down about a comedian coming to town who, you know, these people like your Robbie Page and all the rest of it? I mean, the complainers, it's not like they'd be lining up buying tickets to this bloke. But it's almost like they want to, I don't know, just stop everybody else from getting along to it. 13 12 69, the open line number if you want to have your say. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it. You know, and not just this bloke, this Isaac Butterfield, Rodney Rood, Kevin Bloody Wilson. You know, all these comedians and satirists, do we still have a place for them? I, I, I think we do, considering, you know, we have free speech and all the rest of it. But let me know your thoughts on it. You know, you Kevin Bloody Wilsons, you, the rest of them. Is there still a place for them? And, you know, should they be allowed to play at local RSLs, be it <clears throat> Byron Bay? I mean, this Isaac bloke, the reason I'm mentioning it, this morning he's playing in, you know, areas we broadcast to. Lismore, he's there tonight, he'll be at... Byron Bay and this apparently this uproar on community boards on social media that he shouldn't be. What do you say to it? Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Morning, Mick. How are you, mate? Good morning, mate. Oh, isn't political correctness sickening? It's become a parody of itself. Yeah. You know what? If a satirist can make you or your movement look pretty stupid, he's probably only pointing out what you already are, with your chest feeding or whatever it is. Mm. And if you don't like his ideas, the best cure for a bad idea has always been daylight. <laughs> if everyone hates him, if everyone hates him and he, he gets out there talking and everyone thinks he's stupid, he'll be finished. But you've probably got 100 out of 25 million people up in arms at while they're sipping latte and munching our Falfa sprouts or whatever, oh. and they try and make the whole country, <laughs> you know, they, they, they become a parody of themselves. They're Monty Pythonish almost, you know. I want to be known as Loretta, okay? Yeah. We respect Loretta's right to have babies, even though it's no one's fault, nor, nor is it the fault of the oppressors, the Romans. 
you know. But back to my initial Just subject, live and mate. let live, I think, Mick, is what we're oh, trying to say. Oh, mate. Live and you know let what? live. We used to go along and see Rodney Roode and laugh at him, and it didn't one end up in masses of people running down the streets with false penises on and pushing each other <laughs> over like Rodney does. OK? Right. We weren't that influenced by him. We just thought he was funny. And back to these trees, mate. Yes. You know, it's a beautiful statement to say... OK, I tried it once. It's a beautiful statement to say our creed is to leave the bush in a better condition than what we found it. Yeah. How do you do that when you're chopping trees down? <laughs> what did you do? Tidy up all the undergrowth so the snakes have got nowhere to live? How did you, mate? How did you possibly leave it in better condition than when you found it? Yeah, fair oh, enough. Got rid of all that. Yeah. Now... In this day and age, mm. and I'm a woodworker, I build lots and lots of furniture out of recycled Aussie hardwoods from old sure. houses being ripped down. Yeah. But in this day and age, I can't believe we still need to chop down hardwood. I just built myself beautiful decks out the back out of this composite stuff made out of recycled timber, bamboo, something or other else. It'll never rot, never needs um, oiling. Yeah. You want to build house frames? Use as much pine as you want. We plant it, we grow it, we chop it down, we plant it. It's not even a native to most areas, okay? We've got areas set aside for that. Pine, the Oregon from New Zealand, it's all plantation grown. But why do we still need to be chopping down Australian hardwood that we know for a fact our fauna needs to live in? Because they've lived in it for 60,000, 70,000 years or more. Well, we obviously need the timber, though, and we need the products because we need to build homes and furniture and all the rest of it. What would be the solution in your mind, Mick? Well, for starters, you don't need any Australian hardwood to build homes. We don't use it. We use pine, okay? We use fast-grown... Um, plantation-grown pine to build houses. You won't find hardwood in, in too many houses at all. Okay. Most of Okay. So for the furniture, how about we get used to looking at composite? It won't take you long. It'll take you five years. There's a lot of recycled timber out there I use. Yeah. You can't, my, I'm a timber man. People said to me, you're building your deck out of that artificial stuff. Yeah. Um, my brother up north built a deck, and his son kept who's built it for him, kept saying, mate, you're not using that timber. That comes from a rainforest, you're not using that one, okay, you can use that one, it came from a plantation. Mm -hmm. Okay? There's ways to do it, mate. You don't have to keep chopping down the bush, because you know what? There is a substitute for blackbutt timber in my house. Yep. It's called bamboo composite. Alright. Okay, it looks nice. There is no substitute for a blackbutt tree in the forest. That's true. All right, mate. Thank you. Appreciate it. Look, again, if you want to have your say on this, uh, look, there'll be a protest this weekend, and again, koalas... Uh, there are concerns about over or deforestation and increased logging in areas of New South Wales and animal rights activists and campaigners with their hearts in the right place believe that they still believe that uh, under current legislation our koalas will be extinct in New South Wales by 2050. All right, so in around 28-odd years... No koalas. It's hard to imagine, really, isn't it? 16 after 6. Uh, let's go to Peter. Good morning, Pete. Oh, g'day, mate. How you going? All right. Thank you, Peter. Well, I just used to comment about um, Isaac Butterfield and, and the people that don't like it. Mate, it's, it's, the new, it's the new world. You're allowed to have your, your whinge and you can't be shot down for it. Do you know what I mean? Like um, what I, that other guy just said, sitting there, sitting there last day, eating there a Falfus Yeah, did it? <laughs> These people are professional offendees. Like he's hilarious. Rodney Rude's hilarious. Yes, Rodney. Bloody Wilson's hilarious. Mm. They they um, articulate 
what the majority of Australians probably think and find humorous. It's just the other morons that just don't understand it and think, think they're actually targeting people um, to, to, to be nasty to them. They're just making a joke. There used to be a time where we'd be able to take the piss out of each other and, and, and not worry about offending. I mean, look, to his credit, I have to say, Isaac doesn't give a rat's. He'll, he, he's going to go on with his show and that's it. And he's, he's using it. He, I mean, he's probably enjoying the publicity of all these people jumping up and down because it gets people talking and increases his sales. Not that he needs it really anyway. Mate, everyone I know shares similar opinions and cracks the same jokes we've yeah. always done for the last 50 years, 45 at least. Absolutely. I, I don't know where this whole new regime comes from. Well, not, it's not there. The, not the Australia, I know. No, and look, at the end of the day... Or live in. You know, and I know, as you know, we, we both know that if you are in a certain social situation that you do not talk down uh, to, to women, you do not... You know, you, there are, there's a time and a place for everything, and some of the stuff that this guy goes on about, OK, can be construed as maybe a little um, oh, misogynistic, all the rest of it, but... I mean, it's not as if he's encouraging it or saying this is the way you should behave. Unfortunately, it happens. It's a reflection of 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 way of where we've been and how we are. Um, I don't know when we stop uh, being realistic about the way the, that Australians live. Then I think we're going to find ourselves in a bit of trouble. It's all been fabricated, to me. Yeah, I think so. Did, or, did we ever? Did we ever really talk down to women on math? I don't think so. I don't no, know. No, and we all know that a real man respects a woman. Uh, at the end of the day, that's all it comes down to. Uh, real men. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, bud. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for the call. Thanks, mate. Bye, bye. Hello, Mark. How are you? Uh, Mark, are you there? Mark has gone silent. The sounds of silence, replaced by the sounds of Jamiroquai on this Friday morning. It's June the 4th. Marcus Paul in the morning, give me a call, 13 12 69 if you want to have your say. 19 after 6. Jamiroquai, Cosmic Girl, Marcus Paul in the morning. All the news and your views, just let me know what's on your mind. Uh, being a Friday... A few more tunes for you, a little less politics, unless you want to talk about it, you let me know. Uh, just in relation to the Isaac Butterfield story, have we gone, you know, a little silly with this PC rubbish and, uh, you know, are we not allowing satirists to have their say without people jumping up and down? Uh, Sean says, the problem is the style of video on YouTube. It isn't sketches or stand-up, it's monologues. When he includes the types of jokes that he does in these videos, it simply emboldens people who truly believe what he's saying. There is a fine line, and I think he's on the wrong side of that line. All right, Sean. Um, uh, look, everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's the thing. Rob says, we still have freedom of speech. However, that does not mean freedom from consequences. Well, absolutely. I mean, if I say something that's offensive and the wrong thing on this program, I mean, there may well be consequences that I'll need to uh, face. It's true, though. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the open line number if you want to have your say. Donna is there. Hello, Donna. How are you? Hello, good, thank you. How are you going? All right, thanks, Don. That's good. Um, look, just a couple of things I wanted to add. I haven't got your program now. We, we cut off. 
um, earlier. I'm ringing from Grafton. Sure. But I was listening to Damo a bit earlier regarding um, harvesting. Sure. And just, um, just as a couple of things, really in native forestry, only 0.2% of the native forests are harvested annually. Yep. But also with the koala sep, that was mainly to do with the private native forestry. And people think you can just go out and just really harvest trees down. But they have to be regulated. They have to get licences from the local land services. Um, I've been working in the timber industry for over 40 years. Yeah. And you just can't purchase timber from private landholders. They have to have a licence. They have to have numbers. Oh, there's so have, many regulations and hoops so you need. so many regulations. Yeah. And yeah. they just don't clear fell. That's, that's a myth. Clear felling might come in into plantations because they're grown for that reason. They're grown to a certain... They thin them out and then they grow, and then they do do clear them and then they replant. But in private native forestry and in forestry itself, they don't do that because it's naturally regenerated or regrown, so they don't clear areas. A, a lot of the areas are cleared probably for development, roads. Mm. Um, that's where a lot of clearing comes in, but not through harvesting. We're always given a bad name. They blame us for everything. But people are so conservative and we've got so many regulations regarding koalas because nobody wants to see koalas extinct um, or injured so there's so many regulations and, and they are protected well yeah see that's the thing and i'm acutely aware that where i'm broadcasting in regional new south wales that you know there is a an agribusiness uh, timber cutting operations and i understand uh, look in in the city there are probably going to be people on the weekend, with respect to them, there are probably going to be people there on the weekend who have been blindly following the hashtags and, and just think that, you know, loggers are just out there, you know, chainsaw in hand looking for the nearest tree with a dozen koalas just to cut it down. That's not the case. So I That's understand right, yeah, that. Yeah. I understand that. All right. Thank you, Donna. Yeah. You have a wonderful okay, thanks day. thanks for taking my call. Oh, it's my pleasure. My Radio, pleasure. bye. All the best. There we go. 13 12 69, the open line number if you want to have your say. Uh, now, after the 6.30 news, I think we might hear from Sammy on the latest lockdown from Melbourne, Sammy J. Uh, we've got a missing woman as well, uh, a young woman, 23-year-old Clarissa Hardy from Sydney's West. She's been missing since last Thursday in Marylands. I'll give you a, a description of her and how you can perhaps assist New South Wales Police to find her. Hopefully we can, safe and well. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Yeah, good morning to you. Everything you need to know to start your workday on a Friday, June 4. Uh, very soon we're going to catch up with uh, the Nationals Federal Member for Calais, Andrew G. He's also a Minister for Decentralisation and Regional Education as the Blaney Commonwealth Bank branches close this Friday today. Andrew G has highlighted a growing case for government intervention in regional banking services. Just to cut through it all, banks are closing everywhere, particularly in regional areas of New South Wales where this show is broadcast to. Uh, There are concerns of the wider economic impact. Look, it's obvious. We know why banks are closing, because they're greedy. Banks are greedy. They want to make as much money as they can, you, me, unless you're, uh, I don't know, Alan... I was about to say Alan Bond... Unless you're a packer or somebody else with lots of money, they really don't care. You know, uh, we're a number. 
on a balance sheet. And they want to make as much money as they can for their shareholders. In order to do that, um, they're cutting services. And quite often, they will cut services, including branches, in regional areas, which is causing a greater impact in these communities. Once on the main street, all the banks are gone, there'll be less people going there. Less, you know, elderly people that rely on banks to get cash out. It's not just that as well. ATMs, goodness sake, they're, they're disappearing at a fast rates of, uh, not of rates as well, because uh, the thing is, <laughs> they're expensive for banks to operate. So what they're doing, and it's happened just locally where I am, you know, whereas before I could go up and just get cash out, out of the Commonwealth ATM, it's been replaced by, I don't know, some sort of private ATM operator, and now I can't get access to my money my cash, if I need cash, a lot of us have kids. We give our kids some pocket money or money or whatever. You got to pay two dollars fifty to get it out. It's not that the you know it's not like there's another local branch anywhere around my neck of the woods that I can go to. They've all closed down, and I know. And this is in Sydney, so I know it's so much worse out in regional areas of the state. Let me know your experience. We'll talk further about it. Uh, The greater concern, of course, is when all these banks go, the main street dies. Other local businesses will not see the foot traffic that usually trapes to the banks to do their business. They're not going to buy coffee from the coffee shop. Not going to go to the local butchers. Not going to go to perhaps the local bakery, pick up their bread and and other goodies. Uh, It has some dire economic Impacts, and we are trying to encourage people into regional areas of the state. What can the federal government do? Well, probably not a lot. But anyway, we'll speak to Andrew about it this morning. Andrew G, the federal member for Calair. He's concerned because it's not just Blaney. Uh, there are a number of other banks that are closing it. It's not just the Commonwealth as well. I don't want to just pick on them, but, I mean, they are our largest bank. How is it in your neck of the woods? Maybe you think, like a lot of people do, that it's all the start of a cashless way of living. Well, I know for a fact that there'll be a lot of people that aren't happy with that. You know, and there are a lot of people who don't like dealing with internet banking, who don't like using cards, that prefer to do things the old-fashioned way and pay things, pay for things with cash. That's on the way. We'll talk more about that very soon, Marcus Paul, in the morning. Look, a secret marketing strategy to convince us all to support a controversial overhaul of the National Disability Insurance Scheme says the federal government must be seen to have listened to concerns of disability groups who will be targeted with an extensive campaign. It's a story today, front page of the Sydney Morning Herald. Rob Harris writes, a leaked communications engagement strategy from the National Disability Insurance Agency, which administers the $26 billion scheme, reveals an aim to announce a legislation date in late August. It also aims to combat any any backlash from the disability community through what Labor calls an expensive multimedia spin campaign. The federal government has faced fierce community anger over its plan to require independent assessments for all participants to re-evaluate their eligibility for the scheme and the level of support and funding they receive. 
In the biggest change to the scheme since it began, the assessments will be conducted by a panel of private providers, such as psychologists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists and speech pathologists, but not the person's usual therapists. The NDIS Minister Linda Reynolds announced in April that she would pause the contentious reforms amid growing concern from the sector and concerns from state governments over the handling of the changes. Well, Anthony Albanese will be on the program on Monday. I'll bring that up with him and see where they stand on it. I don't like too much tinkering around with the National Disability Insurance Scheme when it comes to, you know, so-called independent people. Um, My concern is that the whole thing becomes so bloated with bureaucracy and so-called independent experts that they're the ones who are pocketing all the money rather than the disabled, those who ultimately are the ones that the money is designed to support. I think it's one of the greatest policies we've had in our country in, in, in decades. I put it up personally, I put it up there with Medicare because I have a personal stake. I have somebody in my family with a disability and they benefited benefited from the National Disability Insurance Scheme. It's good public policy. What we can't allow is a government, any government, Labor, Liberal or otherwise, to privatise and corporatise it to an extent that we find, well, those with disabilities are getting less of what they deserve and what they what the scheme was initially designed for. I'd love to know what Julia Gillard thinks about it. It was her baby, this thing. Uh, also, this morning, I see that humpback whales, yes, I'm talking about whales, they're being sighted in giant numbers, in giant pods of a scale never recorded before off our coast. Uh, conservation measures have helped restore numbers thought to be approaching those of pre-whaling days. Isn't that great news? The mammals have also been filmed using bubbles to stun or corral their prey, such as krill, the first time such behaviour has been documented in Australian coastal waters. In September and October last year, scientists, whale-watching operators and recreational drone pilots captured six observations of the so-called supergroups of humpbacks off the New South Wales and Tasmanian coasts. Now, according to research published this week in the Aquatic Conservation Journal, the pods range from 20 to 90 whales. It's a lot of whales. Anyway, look, again, the take-home from this is that obviously our oceans are clean and we're seeing record numbers of humpbacks on the Great Migration up and down our east coast. Are you a whale watcher? I've seen them a couple of times. I haven't been out on a boat, but I've seen them, you know, looking from uh, down south, a really good spot, just south of Kiama, in between Kiama and Jerringong, really good spot there. Uh, Near Jerringong Cemetery, I've been a few times, really good spot. Because sometimes if they have young, they'll come in and nestle a little bit, or whatever they, whales do, in the more shallow water. And they put on a, a great show, a really, really good show. Uh, we've also recently had whales, of course, in Sydney Harbour, which means the harbour itself must be pretty healthy. Anyway, whaling 
what a blight that was on uh, on the numbers of whales in the wild and you know in the oceans but we're back apparently to to record numbers of of humpbacks to pre whale uh, whaling levels 13 12 69 if you want to have you say les good morning how are you not bad marcus uh, well, i just i just heard you talk about whaley the commonwealth bank that's going to shut down and the commonwealth down up there yeah Look, I'm just, um, I've got a brother that lives in Blaney, and a, a few weeks ago, because they've only got the Commonwealth Bank, and they only got one ATM up there, another ATM. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, four or five weeks ago, he put his card in the ATM and lost his money. Now, he had to wait six weeks to get his money, because the armed guards have got to come and uh, get all the receipts and take them back. Yeah. Now, when the Commonwealth, when the Commonwealth Bank shuts, well, that's true, isn't it? That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, you're right. And that's a big part of the problem, too. I don't know how many ATMs there are in a place like Blaney, but you're right. If, if something goes wrong with them and there's no local branch, well, then what do you do? You call the number on the ATM and hope to God that eventually they'll get back to you and give you your money uh, or return your card or whatever has to happen. I don't know. See, I don't agree uh, with uh, the fact that branches are closing willy-nilly around regional Australia. As I mentioned earlier, it's simply because they want to increase their profits. I mean, the poor things. How can they possibly survive on billions of dollars a year in profit? Anyway, we'll talk to Andrew G., the Nationals federal member for Clare, about this. He is calling for the government's to intervene in regional banking closures. He says he's in no doubt that both the Molong and Blaney closures are both profitable banking centres located in thriving rural areas. Rural communities are being abandoned by the big banks. Basically, that's what he's saying. Clearly, Australia's big banks are only concerned about lining their own bulging pockets. And there is strong and a growing argument, or strong and growing arguments for the Australian government to mandate minimum service requirements for banking in country areas. Well, the industry that I work in right now, we have mandatory requirements as a part of our licence to operate the business. We need to broadcast a certain amount of content from our local radio stations in regional New South Wales. That's for a media operation. You know, why can't the same mandates be placed on financial institutions like banks? Because effectively they have a licence, as do we. Only difference is their licence is to print money effectively and make as much as they can. Marcus Paul in the morning. Quick break and we're back. It's 12 to 7. Is this the queue for coffee? Sorry? Is this the queue for coffee? Uh, no, it's the queue for vaccination. Sorry, did you just say this is the queue for vaccinations? <laughs> what do you think it was? Well, it's Melbourne. I saw a queue, so I got in line. How long have you been waiting? Five hours. Sorry, you've been waiting for five hours in a queue and you don't know what for? Yes, and I'm nearly there. Hey, don't worry. you got this. Yeah, thanks. People keep telling me that. I'm Dave, by the way. Oh, Nick, hi. Oh, you can't shake hands. There's a pandemic. Yeah, maybe in India. Oh, India. Can't wait to travel again. 
well, you better get vaccinated first. Yeah? Where do I do that? Here. That, that's what we're in line for. Yes, right. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it was for coffee, but he said it's not. Sorry, mate. You really should be wearing a face mask outside. Oh, sorry. I didn't realise the fun police were in town. No, the real police are in town. There's a $200 fine. 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 <sighs> Next they'll be telling us we can't leave the house. What is taking so long? OK, just calm down. It's not a race. That's what the Prime Minister said. Except I've been waiting five hours, so they could hurry a bit. Oi! Jab faster! I want to go overseas! Overseas? Try getting to Sydney. Coffee's not as good in Sydney. You been up to anything fun this week? Mate, we're in lockdown. Oh, yeah, sorry, I'm not uh, great with uh, lockdown-based small talk. Yeah, you're living in the wrong city, then. Hey, this is the most livable city in the world. For lockdowns? Yeah. For lockdowns. You know, I should have come last week. There were no queues then. Why didn't you get your shot then? Because nobody else was doing it. If it was a race, I might have done it. See, they should offer incentives. Like free coffee? Yeah, or like not dying from COVID? Yes, I would get in line for that instead of just seeing a queue and randomly joining it. Sorry, do you care about the world around you? We're on the cusp of a potentially devastating third wave. Yeah, mate, and I'm on the cusp of a potentially devastating headache if I don't get a coffee soon. I've got to go back to work. What do you do? I'm in aged care. Well, shouldn't you get vaccinated? Hey, it's not a race. At least we're taking it seriously. Actually, I got my shot last week and uh, I just wanted to get out of the house. Since this is one of the five reasons, it's just got... Sorry, that's the end of my allotted two hours. Better get that coffee. Hey, mate, is this the unemployment queue for casual workers? Uh, no, it's the vaccination queue. Oh, screw that. Wear a mask! All the news you need. Marcus Paul in the morning. I blame you for the moonlit sky. Yeah, noldy, but a goodie. Tasman Archers, sleeping satellites. Marcus Paul in the morning. Off to the newsroom at seven. We'll get the latest from Michaela. But Australians who have had their hours of work and income significantly affected due to the state lockdowns will now be eligible for temporary emergency payments of up to $500 a week. By making these payments available, the Australian government is ensuring that any workers affected by lockdowns of more than seven days get some financial support. Uh, the payment will be paid from the second week onwards when lockdowns last for longer than seven days. So obviously Melbourne, um, those affected by the lockdown in Melbourne, will be first off the rank to receive uh, these obvious payments. Now, the support will be paid weekly to those workers who reside or work in a Commonwealth-declared hotspot and are unable to attend work and therefore unable to earn an income as a result of state-imposed health restrictions at last for greater than seven days. So eligible recipients will receive up to $500 per week for losing over 20 hours of work and $325 per week for losing under 20 hours of work.
but they also must not have liquid assets of more than $10,000. The payment is in addition to existing payments, including the pandemic leave disaster payment, which the Australian government provides for those who have been directed to self-isolate or quarantine by the state or territory health authority. Now, all of this assistance, these payments, the new ones, will be available from next Thursday through Services Australia. The website, all the w's.servicesaustralia.gov.au. All righty, Marcus Paul in the morning. We're going to talk very soon with Andrew G, Nationals Federal Member for Calais, about the closure of banking services in regional New South Wales. Today's Friday. A number of banks, Blaney, Molong and others, will be closing today. What will replace them? Nothing. Maybe the local ATM if they're lucky. From Dubbo to the Gold Coast. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now. 13 12 69. It's a Friday, eight minutes after seven, June the 4th. I want you to have a little listen to this uh, marketing commercial from one of our big banks. It lives at first light. And at the last dish, it lives wherever we push ourselves. When we pull together, it lives over the door. At the end of every paintbrush, at the start of every something, every beginning. It lives in going for a six, where a four would have done it. It lives after the dust has settled. After the sun has set and the kids have gone to bed, where you break yourself before you break a promise, and knowing that even the smallest things can lead to something big. It lives in every square inch of this place. And because we live here, Can lives here. Yeah, all right. Uh, corny, expensive, flashy, looks great. Uh, it lives. Where you live, according to the marketing spin and spiel from the Commonwealth Bank. But if you live in some regional areas of New South Wales, like Blaney, Molong, I'm sorry to say, it doesn't live where you live. As the Blaney Commonwealth Bank branch prepares to permanently close its doors today... Member for Calair, Andrew G has highlighted a growing case for government intervention in regional banking services. He joins us on the program. Andrew, thank you for your time, mate. Thanks for having me on the show, Marcus. My pleasure. Um, well, quite obviously, uh, the big banks do not live where we live, particularly in regional areas of this state. Oh, absolutely. It makes your blood boil when you listen to those expensive, flashy advertising campaigns. It's just words. It's just spin they are not backed up by deeds and actions. We'll grow with you. We're here through thick and thin. We're all in it together. It's all just spin because today they are pulling out of two communities in my area, Blaney and Molong. In the case um, of both of those communities, none of the big banks will be there anymore. And in many cases, the folks out in these parts of the world, in my part of the world, have been banking with the Commonwealth for their whole lives and in some cases it runs through generations and there is real outrage about this it's not just the commonwealth the other banks have done it as well the anz for example is pulling out of cowra and 
it has left a, a real bitterness in the community, especially the way the bank has gone about doing it. And the solution that they have come up with has also caused outrage in terms of just saying, well, we're going to put information officers yeah. in these communities um, to presumably tell people that the branches have closed. I think we've already worked out that the branches are closing today. Mm. But the reason they have given is that over-the-counter transactions have dropped. But out where we are, we've been through three years of drought. We've been through COVID, so the branches were closed. And then the banks were also actually funneling people out of the bank and saying, don't do over-the-counter transactions, go and use the ATMs just outside. Well, they're pulling those out as well. Well, they are. And the problem with those uh, ATMs that are being pulled out in my area, I'm in Sydney, but, uh, I mean, the ComBank, I don't mean to be just picking on the Commonwealth Bank, we know they're all doing it, but my local ATM, has it's been there for forever and a day, it's been replaced by some private mob who want to charge people $2.50 to get access to their own money. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a joke, and yeah. and people are, are, have had a gutful of it, and it's not just in the country. For example, mm. the ANZ uh, pulled out of Potts Point, I think. I mean, I, I think the thing is, in the city, at least the distances aren't as great to find another brand. No, well, that's out right. The, yeah. Out in the country, so out at Molong, for example, if you want to do business banking now, you have to drive into Orange, um, the same in um, Blaney, that there are security issues there. Um, it discriminates against older Australians who aren't as mobile and who don't do the internet banking and who aren't there yet. Of course it does. And, yeah. and I think, it, I think it, it throws up a whole raft of issues, like what are these banks doing and who are they serving? They're, they're not serving these communities. They mm. are serving their shareholders and the bank executives. Well, I've just had a look, announcing the group's full-year results of the 12 months to the 30th of June. Uh, the bank reported an annual cash net profit after tax of $8.49 billion. That's the Commonwealth Bank. And yet they're still abandoning rural communities. All the big banks are abandoning rural communities. Look, you and I both know if you take a bank out of a main street of a country town... Well, everything around it tends to suffer. Uh, you know, people aren't going to the centre of town, to the bank where they've always gone to take out cash or to do their business. Um, so they won't be getting a coffee at the local takeaway. They won't be popping into the local butchery or to, to the bakers. And that's the issue here. Uh, and also, you know, what about local small businesses? Where, where do they go? Where, where do they take their, their takings for the day? Yeah, it's a great point. If you funnel people into the larger centres, you know, they might do their, instead of doing the grocery shopping in Molong and Blaney, they might do it in Orange or Bathurst now. It's it's a good point. And the other thing, we had to sit down with the Commonwealth Bank CEO and his executives, and I said to them, you're still making money from these areas? And they said, oh, well, we'll have to check the figures on that. But they haven't come back to me. They are still making money from these areas. and. During COVID-19, we've seen the biggest movement of people from the cities to the country since the days of the gold rush. It's bigger than the gold rush. Like last year, there were there was a 43,000-person net gain in terms of migration from city to country. The year before, it was only 19. So these are vibrant and prosperous areas. They are still profit centres for the Commonwealth Bank and all of the other big banks. The only reason they're closing these branches 
is to make more profits. That's what they want, more money for their shareholders, more money for their executives, but they are still making money. The money is being made from our country communities, but it's not being invested and reinvested. uh, It's being taken away from our country communities and is being transferred essentially to shareholders and executives. That's what is happening. Andrew, I made a point earlier that in the business that I'm in, in broadcasting, in the company that I work for, we have a license. Part of our licensing requirements are that we... Uh, we give back to the local community that we do business in. For instance, you know, we, we operate um, a station in Orange, so we need to broadcast local content in that market. That is mandated by law. It is a part of our, you know, operation uh, operations. We have to do that. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves in, in breach of our licence and possibly losing it. So why is it that banks can seemingly, you know, up shop and do what they like? They're not beholden to these local um, uh, communities, but a business like ours, which makes, you know, nowhere near sort of the money that banks do, uh, we have to follow strict guidelines. I guess the point I'm trying to make is what can governments do? I mean, it's private enterprise. It's not as if it's a government-run bank. Well, I think this is a really good point that you make. And I made a speech on this in the parliament yesterday, and I've also raised it in my own party room, which is the Nationals Party Room, in that we need to start having a look at this and work out what what we are requiring in the country from our banking sector and how we can actually hold these banks to account. Because at the moment, They're doing this under the cover of COVID. Mm. The aim of the game is for them to slip quietly into the night. So they're not even coming out to consult with our communities until two weeks after the closure. So they're coming out um, on on the 16th or something like that to tell us that the branches have closed. I think there's a real appetite for this in the community. Certainly amongst my fellow national MPs, there is a real appetite for this. So I flagged this in the party room um, this week. I've also flagged in the parliament yesterday, okay. and it is something that we are very keen to pursue. So we've got a very active policy committee um, in the National Party, and we're going to have a very close look at how we can hold these banks to account, because everyone has had a gutful of this behaviour and the contempt with which they're treating country communities. But in particular, it's their customers they're treating with contempt. It's their loyal it's their loyal customers. I mean, we can all remember. I remember getting the Commonwealth Bank, you know, the <laughs> elephant money boxes and the, <laughs> yes, and the tin too. money box in the shape of the bank and That's all of right. that. And, yep. you know, and in back, you know, in years gone by, you knew your bank manager and you knew that if you banked with that bank and by the time you needed a home loan, the bank manager would say, yep, I know you. I know your family. You've all banked with us for years. So, yeah, here's your home loan and, you know, live the Aussie dream. Those days are long gone. The loyalty has all been shot pieces through actions like these bank closures which are happening today and that are causing so much angst and so much outrage in country communities but also in city communities too i have to say yeah that's true look you are the minister for decentralization so i I want to talk to you further about this issue in the future now i mean you say and i agree the banks are working against current trends in population movement, while the government is yep. working to, to promote decentralisation, that is, growing our communities in the regional areas of New South Wales, in particular from where we're broadcasting to, the banks are actively undermining this by a deliberate plan to close their country branches. 
Yeah, and you make a very valid point that if you start pulling out financial services, then country communities, you can hit, hit that downward spiral when you start pulling out those key pillars and planks of country communities when your schools and hospitals start to de- be downgraded. People want to live where the services are. So if, if your communities aren't offering those financial services, it can be really problematic for the growth and vibrancy of country communities. And it can take on um, you know, this kind of downward trend economically and in the population. So that's why we've got to maintain and we've got to actually fight for these services. And, and that's what I'm very committed to doing because it, this has been a real, um, uh, a real light being shone on this issue. And good, I think pe- people in our area are, are up for this fight. Like, this, you know, and as I said, it's not just the Commonwealth. All of the big banks have been doing it and, it, and they're keeping on doing it. The thing about it is they're using COVID as cover for this, mm. and and they're what thinking that they can just. What banks being sneaky? Come on, Andrew, you know that would never <laughs> happen. All right, I'll leave it there. Uh, let's talk you and I uh, much more about this and and decentralisation and and what we can do to improve services in regional New South Wales in particular. Let's do this in the future, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks for your support on uh, the issue, Marcus. I know our country right. communities and our folks out there really appreciate it. No problem. You have a good day. You too. Bye. All right, there he is, Nationals Federal Member for Calair, Andrew G. He's also the Minister for Decentralisation and Regional Education, uh, a man we probably should be speaking to more often, and we will. All right, 20 minutes after seven. Mark, are you there? Yes, Marcus. Hello, Morning. mate. Yeah, just a quick one. We're now local... Uh, banks closed, we could still do our banking through the post office, at yeah. least Commonwealth-wise, and get your small, get around the ATM problem by free cash-outs at your supermarkets. That is true. You're right. That is absolutely true. And there are ways around it. I, I understand and I appreciate that. Uh, but still, you know, at the end of the day, uh, not many people will, will want to do things that way. And again, what happens to the small businesses? Where do they take the daily takings? Do they have to drive an hour every day just to drop off cash? No, they'll hold on to it at home. And that causes another issue, you know, security-wise. But uh, look, I, absolutely. And the other thing, too... Uh, I mean, the more we palm off banking services to either uh, a post office, and they're disappearing in some areas as well, although, of course, we do know the deal that was done between Australia Post and the banks has led to things being... Look, I've got no problem with that, so long as they staff it properly and it doesn't cause issues for banking customers. At the end of the day, a post office, regardless of the deal being done, a post office is not a bank. No. You know, it's not. And if you want to talk to somebody about your home loan or about, you know, your interest rate or about changing something or opening up a new account, you can't necessarily do that if you go into the post office at Blaney. And when a lot of people are stretched money-wise at the time, governments and entities are forgetting that they sometimes lose access to their... They can't afford their phone bill, so they can't get on the internet or phone. Yeah, and then we've got the other issue, of course, Mark, of you know some areas not having 
the NBN or decent internet services. So how on earth in regional and country New South Wales can you use the internet if it's not available? Great call, mate. Appreciate it. 2SM Sydney Traffic. Croydon Park, George's River Road at Green Hill Street, a truck breakdown eastbound left hand lane. Stanmore, Parramatta Road, Catherine Street, a truck breakdown westbound lane one. And very heavy traffic, the M7 through Preston's run up towards Elizabeth Drive, approaching Cecil Hills at northbound. Tree yourself to the sweetest apple in the range. Envy Apples in season now. Ask your local supermarket or greengrocer for Envy Apples today. Bite and believe. That's the latest traffic with Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM 1269. Whenever news breaks, wherever news breaks. We'll be there. The Martin Place Cenotaph in Sydney's CBD has been vandalised. Part of a bayonet on the statue was broken in the early hours of Saturday morning. Wherever news breaks, we're there. Mr Morrison and Ms Ardern will also discuss adding Pacific nations to their travel bubble, though plans could be put in jeopardy following a resurgence of COVID-19 cases in Fiji. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And New Zealand's Trade Minister Damien O'Connor says New Zealand will support Australia during its World Trade Organization dispute with China. A former Bandidos OMCG member has been charged after police found a handgun, vehicles and jet skis worth $300,000 in Sydney's west. Officers searched a property at Warrington Downs on May 20 and seized cash, steroids and weapons. You can rely on Super Network News. Every baby deserves to sleep like a baby. And with your support, they can. Every week, Tresillion helps thousands of new parents learn how to get their child feeding, settling and sleeping right. Help change a family's life. Donate at tresillion.org.au slash donate today. Tresillion. It's in our nature to nurture. Well, starts with A and ends with E. Supplements for you and me. Arba Vitae, Australia's favourite health supplements for the whole family, are now available in over 900 chemists and health food stores nationwide. Learn more at arbavitae.com.au. Arbor Vitae at your favourite pharmacy or phone 1300 879 863. If you're looking to start a business, buying a franchise is an excellent option. And with All Group Franchises, you'll have ongoing support. The home services industry is experiencing rapid growth as people are too busy to maintain their homes. All Group Franchises offers a range of home services franchise options, including lawns and gardens, and you'll be trained in every aspect. Visit allgroupfranchises.com.au or call 0429 691 413. That's 0429 691 413. The news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, Annette, good morning, how are you? Good morning. I wanted to talk about bank, bank closures. Yeah, go for it. So um, it's not just the country areas, although it's a lot worse in country areas. Obviously, they haven't got a lot of options that we have. Yeah. But um, here, for example, Ramsgate Beach mm-hmm. got closed, and then Ramsgate, which is a different branch again, got closed. And then Rockdale Plaza, they had, which which is another branch again, they had a sign-up saying, due to COVID, our staff will be temporarily helping answer phone calls. Yeah. And then, now coming back, now nothing, another sign, 
this this branch will be permanently closed. Yeah, so they're just playing with customers, and that's the point that we've been trying to make. Under the cover, under the guise of COVID-19, the banks are treating us like mugs. Are you surprised? I'm not. New sport and weather next 7.30. Marcus Paul in the morning. Snakes on a plane. What? Details soon. OK, welcome back. 13, 12, 69. By the way, public transport fares will increase in New South Wales after a surprise decision by the Berejiklian government, Transport Minister Andrew Constance. Yeah, oh, yesterday, or was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. That's when he made the announcement that fares would increase across New South Wales for the next 12 months in line with inflation which is 1.5%. It comes after the state government signalled it would consider incentivising public transport ridership by slashing costs in a bid to get more people to travel into the city via public transport. Now, Mr Constant said most riders would experience a cost increase of under $1 a week. All cost caps are to remain in place, including the weekly limit of 50 bucks. Anyway, we'll talk to Mark Latham about this and a couple of other issues in just a moment. Right now, Pete's there. Hello, mate. Yeah, good morning, Marcus. Look, uh, thanks very much for a fantastic program. Uh, I really mean that because uh, you're, you're one of the only stations that really um, t- talk, uh, speak like it is at the truth. You got the check. And, Wonderful. You got the check. I, I was a bit worried it would bounce, but it didn't. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Marcus. And uh, I find it interesting how people uh, accuse you every time you, you talk about the truth and give them the facts, they uh, accuse you of being left. Mm. So um, anyway, uh, I'm going to be left this morning and I'm going to say the reason why some of these banks and all these services are pulling out of the the regional centres is because of the party of privatisation, which is the Liberal Party. And and, uh, I'll I'll use an example, Marcus. Um, I was 21 years with Telstra and uh, when, when it was owned by the government, they paid the same taxes as city people, so they were entitled to the same level of service. When we went into the country regions, they were all serviced by uh, technicians that, or linesmen that were in that area. NBN doesn't service the uh, bush very well at all. And uh, yeah. you can, they can only blame the National Party for that because they allowed the sale to go ahead. Um, so when it comes to people... Uh, it, in the bush, I mean, I don't know why, I simply don't know why they vote National Party, because they're getting the privatisation um, ideologies of the Liberal Party. They, they still pay the same level of taxes, and so they should be entitled to the same level of service. Banking services, um, I mean, I'm, there was one gentleman there that said that um, the uh, post office will now be able to do some of the stuff. Well, yeah. that's all very well, but the post office probably will pull out of the region as well. Possibly. So where does it leave them then? Yeah, very true. All right, mate, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, I mean, Andrew G is a national, uh, but look, he's out there, and I will speak to him. At least he's saying something. Uh, but, of course, his, <laughs> his boss, the Prime Minister, he's not real hard on the banks. Didn't he vote, like, I don't know, 20-odd times against a royal commission into the banks? Yes, he did. <laughs> Now, a fleet of Qantas A380s parked in the Californian desert due to the pandemic travel bans. Well, they're proving popular with local wildlife. Now, that wouldn't... Well, I suppose it'd be a, a hassle, although you could, you know, quite easily get rid of bird poo off a jet. 
but snakes on a plane? We've all seen the set. Well, I don't know whether you have, but there's a movie that's around. Samuel L. Jackson stars in it. Snakes on a plane, where a plane is mid-air and it's overrun by <laughs> snakes. I hate them. Uh, they worry me. Anyway, highly venomous Mojave rattlesnakes and scorpions. So it's not just snakes, it's scorpions as well. They've apparently been setting up camp around the wheel wells and tyres of the mothballed super jumbos. You know those big A380s that Qantas has? They're all parked in the Californian desert, the Mojave Desert. (laughs) Probably they'll be stuck put there at least for the next two years with international travel off the cards. Now, as a result, engineers have brought in a new tool to aid in their regular aircraft inspections known as the Wheel Whackers. Wheel Whackers? Qantas manager for engineering in Los Angeles, Tim Haywood, said the repurposed broom handles were now part of each engineering kits at Victorville, which is where the planes are all um, locked up, to scare off the feisty rattlers from the A380's warm rubber tyres and brake system. The first thing we do before we unwrap and start any ground inspections of the landing gear in particular is to walk around the aircraft, stomping our feet and tapping the wheels with a wheel whacker to wake up and scare off the snakes. It's about making sure that no harm comes to the engineers or the critters themselves. No thank you. And then you've got to worry, of course, if they're making their way into the wheel section of the plane... Who knows, they can maybe wind their way up inside the fuselage of the uh, aircrafts themselves. As I say, no thank you. Marcus Paul in the morning. If it's happening in New South Wales today, you'll hear about it on Marcus Paul in the morning. Chris Mint, you seem to have a lot of support from your colleague. Nominations open on Friday. Um, you know, I'll be honest, Marcus. I'm, I think we will get the 15 signatures and get myself to the next round. Yeah. Um, and look, it's a difficult decision for uh, my parliamentary colleagues. I don't want to put any pressure on them. It's their call as to who they think is the best person to drive Labor forward, get competitive with the government. I think we need to be positive. I think the Labor Party's got good answers when it comes to working families and working communities. And I think if we are in the debate and explaining what we do differently, not just what's gone wrong with the government, then Mm. we've got a fighting chance in 2023. Marcus, Paul in the morning. A number of teams taking on the bye. I think my Raiders will struggle to get up against the bye this weekend. (laughs) Hello, Graham. How are you, mate? (laughs) No, they'll win. They'll win with a late field goal. <sighs> Hope so. Marcus Paul in the morning. I've been everywhere, man. I cacks on my back, man. They say I helped my boyfriend scam. I don't remember a thing, man. But he still got my keys, man. Yeah, I've been everywhere. Where you been, Gladys? I've been to Wagga 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 at Blacktown train station around 3 o'clock last Monday, Monday the 24th of May. So he's been missing for more than a week. Uh, When he was not able to be located or contacted by his family, police were notified. It's, look, it's out of character for Wade not to be in contact with family. He's known to frequent Dundas Valley, Oatlands, Pendle Hill, Granville and Marylands. 
Last seen wearing green camouflage cargo pants, white sneakers and a dark jumper. He's Caucasian in appearance, 170 centimetres tall with brown hair and unshaven. If you can help police and the family of Wade... Please contact Crime Stoppers 1-800-333-000. Mark Latham in a moment. Sandra, good morning. You there, Sandra? Yes, yes. Go ahead, Sandra. With the huge boom in car sales and in real estate prices in New South Wales, the Berejiklian government has got absolutely no business when they collect obscene stamp duty from us to raise anything at all, like transport. And number two... They've just put in unisex toilets and spent millions doing that in every single station in New South Wales, which is in itself obscene. Why do we need unisex toilets? Well, hang on. When when you say unisex toilets, what do you mean by unisex? I mean, everybody needs to go. And if you're waiting for a train, what do you got to do? Well, you don't have males and females. You have one unisex set of toilets. Oh, I see. in your local station. Mm. Now, they've spent millions doing this. Who's behind that obscene idea? We don't want to go in unisex toilets. We want to go in female toilets or male toilets. And they've spent money doing this. Well, I wonder why. Uh, All right, Um, maybe that's something we can ask Andrew Constance. Thank you. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Mark Latham. (laughs) Well, they could be gender-neutral toilets, and that's something that would upset my mate Mark Latham, wouldn't they, Mark? Well, I suppose so, Marcus, but um, <laughs> I thought your caller made a, a reasonable uh, point there. Most people look for either the male toilet or the female toilet. Of course now there's do. so many unisex ones, it can be a bit confusing as to where you're supposed to be and who you bump into. That's true, isn't it? Uh, and look, uh, I can understand uh, how a lot of women would feel uncomfortable um, using uh, the same toilet as blokes. Uh, and. You know, quite often, unless they're properly maintained, these things can be pretty filthy as well. Uh, look, while we're on the, the topic, public transport, toilets aside, uh, but if you ride the train to work, get on the bus or the ferry, etc., you're going to be paying more very soon. Yeah, it's uh, really bad to see this slug on public transport fares. The commuters are really going to be hit hard. And I think a lot of this was uh, an overreaction. It's something of an own goal by the state government because they really went overboard in scaring people off the trains in particular uh, because of COVID. And and, and quite frankly, it's going to take many, many years, if not decades, for people to come back onto the trains in the same numbers because the government went into overdrive to scare people away, the commuters, to get them off the trains. And the reality is, even in the uh, period of lockdown, uh, this time last year um, in, in New South Wales, there hasn't been a single COVID transmission on the trains or the buses or the ferries. So the system was much safer than what the government ever said. Yeah. And and now they've got a huge revenue black hole and the commuters are going to have to pay with higher fares. Well, uh, unfortunately, too, uh, it's up, they say it's in line with inflation. Try and tell that to the Paul Coots, you know, uh, nurses and ammos, frontline workers who are looking for a, a pay rise which the government's, you know, they're putting things up in line with inflation, but they're not offering pay rises to match that, you know, that, that rate of inflation either. So that's another issue. Well, the um, inflation is barely uh, positive, you know. Inflation's uh, very, very low. And, and these fare increases, other cost-of-living slugs that the, the, the government's putting on people, mm. one of your callers mentioned stamp duty, yeah. all of these uh, increases are above the inflation rate. 
So yeah, the that's my point. trying to claw back its budgetary problems at the expense of the cost of living uh, of your average person in New South Wales, particularly if you use the trains, ferries or buses. All right. Uh, you want to have a swipe at the ABC? Uh, or are you happy that Four Corners have dropped this show uh, that apparently uh, talks about the Prime Minister's family's links to some QAnon conspiracy theorist? Well, Marcus, isn't this just a sign of how out of touch the ABC is? I mean, they get over a billion dollars a year. Mm. This um, Scott Morrison thing with QAnon has been around for two years at least. It's 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 never been proven. It's a, a weird ABC insider indulgence to try and <clears throat> link the Prime Minister to these crazy conspiracy theories that come out of the United States. And you think of all the things that are happening in our country, all the things that Four Corners could focus on. True, very Again, true. they're targeting uh, Scott Morrison, uh, trying to rub him out. That really is their political campaign. And the fact that they put a lot of work into this at public expense and the program has been canned is just a, a sign that the ABC has got the wrong priorities. The ABC has got a totally different set of priorities to the people who pay their bills. And, and that's the really disturbing thing out in the suburbs and regions. People want some news coverage and current affairs about real problems in our schools, the health system, what we're just talking about with transport, yeah, fears, cost true. of living, jobs, yep. Yep. the energy sector, the future of coal. I mean, all these things are critical rather than something that most people have never heard of other than these stories a couple of years ago about QAnon. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. Um, sometimes they do focus on fringe issues, which you know, and then they... <laughs> You know, they try and stir up, you're right, all this, uh, all this craziness around, you know, the fact that somebody may have had a relationship at some point with somebody else and, and we're paying for it. Uh, I would much prefer an in-depth conversation on Four Corners about, I don't know, uh, rising toll costs or, or you know, uh, why uh, the state of our hospitals are in disrepair in regional areas of New South Wales. I think these are the issues that, you know, they're one of the last investigative journalism shows that are out there. Focus on the issues, and I agree with you. Focus on the issues, the bread and butter stuff that mums what about and dads. Last Monday, last Monday on Four Corners, it was an ancient history thing about the, uh, the 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 Packer Casino in Sydney from ten years ago, and there was nothing new in it. This long, rambling, boring show went for fifty minutes. Absolutely nothing new in it. What about the current scandal? What has the ABC done about the massive scandal of Gladys Berejiklian and Daryl Maguire? Bugger all. Bugger all. And that surprises me. And it just shows you when they're airing stuff from 10 years ago, which is not news, and there was nothing new in it, um, this this outfit has sort of lost their bearings. All right, mate. Now, the Labor leadership uh, today, kind of D-Day, if you like, for uh, Chris Minns and also Michael Daly. Both say, well, actually, Chris was on the program yesterday and he sort of said, oh, I think I'll have the numbers. Michael Daly says he has the numbers. How do you see this playing out? Will there be a rank-and-file vote, and will we be waiting for weeks, if not months? Well, probably weeks. It looks like they're going to have a ballot. Probably Chris Minns will win it. But I think the main thing for Labor is to recapture the ability to identify vote-changing issues and campaign hard on them. Uh, There's a lot of issues out there. On any given day, there's 20 or 30 things in the newspaper. Yeah. Uh, An effective opposition has got to pick four or five vote-changing issues that really, really matter to people, things happening in the classroom. Electricity prices, what we're just talking about, cost of living. These are the issues that people want, not the fringe minority issues. And if they, these other fringe issues come up, Labor's just got to stick to its core business of hammering 
the major issues of concern in New South Wales, and there's plenty of them, the Berejiklian government uh, in some parts of the media gets a soft run, but it's got a whole stack of problems and inadequacies. Look at the way they run the public service. Mm. Look at what's happening in our schools. Um, look at the things we've just discussed here about transport and, 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 and fares going up. I mean, there's a whole stack of issues there, and, and Labor has got to campaign more effectively as an opposition on the four or five big ones and um, and, and recapture that political ability. Otherwise, Berejiklian kind of wins by default. All right. Uh, and just finally to uh, the New South Wales sexual consent laws. We've had Mark Speakman, the Attorney General, on the program. We've spoken to uh, others, other stakeholders. Uh, I mean, we're all stakeholders, really, in this. Uh, what do you make of the current debate? Well, there were some sensible suggestions from the Law Reform Commission report, particularly the Saxon Mullins case of uh, yeah. where one of the people freezes. That, that, that can't be regarded as consent. There should be instructions to the jury along those lines. But uh, the Attorney-General has gone way overboard with this, where there's you know, dozens of anomalies, things that will cause massive problems. In a married relationship, if, 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 if one partner wakes up and there's sexual touching of, of the other partner, mm. technically that's against the law. That's against the law. And if you get relationship breakdowns and people get vengeful, these things get raised and, 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 and the alleged perpetrator can go to jail. So a lot of this is way beyond the boundaries of, of common sense. Another problem is that every act of consent in the sexual um, relationship yeah, I know what needs yeah. to be renewed. So you've got to get consent for kissing and then touching and then undressing and then on it goes, the other oh, step, okay. leading to intercourse. I mean, I mean, this is just um, an intrusion by government into the bedroom, which yep. is way beyond anything that's necessary. Yes, make the changes that uh, came out of the Commission and the Mullins case, the so-called Lazarus case, yep. but don't go overboard to the point where it's almost like Speakman uh, is setting himself up as some kind of uh, policeman for sexual activity in New South Wales. He's just overreached here massively. All right, Mark. Good to have you on. Have a great weekend. We'll chat next week. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Marcus. Cheers. One Nation's Mark Latham. Everything you need to know now. Marcus Paul in the morning <laughs> on 2SM. Um, on this Friday, June 4, yeah, I'm having a little chuckle to myself because everything you need to know about today is on this program, including the fact that it is not only Crazy Socks for Docks Day, that is, we're being encouraged to just uh, ensure that our local medical practitioners are okay and that they look after their mental health. How do we do that? We acknowledge it by wearing odd socks, apparently. I'm going to talk to Dr. Karen Price about that very soon. Alex Chelios joining us from The Big Smoke. But just back to today, not only is it Crazy Socks for Docks Day, apparently it's National Donut Day. All the big stories here, folks. It is National Donut Day. We're asking you on social media, uh, what is your favourite donut? Uh, and I don't want to plug, plug anybody in particular, um, so I'll plug everybody. Donut King are good. I like the traditional ones. Um, you know, just the, uh, the cinnamon donuts. I could eat those by the truckload. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be here to talk about it, but I could. I love them. They're Moorish. Uh, and the other ones, the ones from, uh, what are they called? Uh, the fancy ones, the glazed ones. What's the name of that company, Justin? Any idea? Are you even listening? No, 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 no. The, the, the donut joint. Not Donut King, the other one. What's it called? He doesn't know. He doesn't eat them, obviously. 
Um, anyway, that mob are apparently uh, giving away 10,000 of the things today. Have we worked out what the company is yet? They don't advertise with us. They probably won't after this either. 13, 12, 69. Um, anyway, Marcus Paul in the morning. Alex in the big smoke joining us as well. Uh, and uh, our mate Bowen from Bowen's Garage will be on the program. He's going to talk about the new Hyundai Nexo. Hyundai Nexo. It's a new one. Bowen'sGarage.com.a. Krispy Kreme just came to me. Krispy Kremes. I think everybody's ringing up. What's your favourite donut, by the way? If you want to have your say, 13, 12, 69. Have we got people on the line there, Scruff? Or should we go to a break first? This is riveting radio on a Friday. Um, all right, we might, uh, we'll go to a break, come back, take these callers. See, you can talk about politics all you like. You mentioned donuts, and the phones go nuts. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5 a.m. on 2SM. 11 after 8. Hello, Warren. Uh, good morning, Marcus. It's been a while. I've been staying away from the donut shops. Do you know why? Tell me why was. A certain weight loss clinic has told me to stay away. I've been banned. Can I mention the weight loss clinic? <laughs> go on, then. Jenny <laughs> Craig, you've got to love her. Ah, <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, look... I uh, I'm pretty much the same, although uh, my the the beautiful one Ash the princess she loves donuts as well. So the two of us we're we're opus. She loves Krispy Kreme. Yeah, Krispy Kremes are the ones that uh, are the glazed ones that I couldn't think yeah. of before. But uh, the Donut Kings ones that she likes uh, yeah. are the ones that are done in um, as dinosaurs. And she like she's like a kid. She likes the novelty of it. <laughs> With all the uh, the smarties and whatnot on top. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, but if you're talking yeah. about Donut King for me, uh, you can't beat the original cinnamon ones. They're beautiful, just beautiful. Well, why are we talking about donuts? It's National Donut Day. I don't care who made it up. I don't even care if it's not true. I'm going to have one when I get off air. All right, to Alex in the big smoke soon. John. Morning, John. Good day, Marcus. I've been listening this morning. Going to cover a few of your points you've had on there. Off you the go. Building, the, the building products over thirty percent of all our building products come in from overseas. We because of and we're short of timber here because they've done everything else. You're talking about logging and wrecking the koalas. That's a fallacy. The Barragarang, the the Nepean, the Avon, the Cordo, the Bi the, the Bylong Valley. The Begalong Valley, the Gross Valley, the Jamison Valley, I've got hundreds of thousands in there, but they've never been in there to count them or anything else. They wouldn't know. There's plenty of stuff around for them. We need hardwood. They, the loggers do preserve the place the same as farmers, and it's got to keep going because that's how regional areas go. Now, they're talking about, you're talking about all the, the closures in, in, in regional areas with banks. Yeah. Now, the Commonwealth Bank, that was our reserve bank once. I'll guarantee you don't know who started it off and right back. Now, that was all instigated for first home buys of 3% business and farmers. Once you had one loan, you can't go back and get another loan at that rate. And the, the Labor Party were the ones that finished it off in the Finnish Hawk and Keating when they floated it, and that wrecked it. Now, that's why we've we got... And then the Commonwealth Bank shares are now $100, and they've got big shares in the Hong Kong Bank, which uh, Hong Kong Chinese Bank, which is partially owned by the Communist China. Then we get back. Then we get back to the transport setup. They've got troubles. are going to jack the prices up and everything else. Yeah. And, and the, the crazy, 
light rail turnout. Well, they said everyone worked from home. So if everyone works from home, they don't use a train. So what they do, they create a problem, then to create another problem to fix a problem they've already created. That's because of the statues in Macquarie Street. You don't know where they are, do you? The statues, yeah, uh, they're at the State Parliament. Yeah, the statues, the walk and talk of statues, they they know three parts of five-eighths of nothing. (laughs) All right, John, all right. (laughs) Thank you, mate. You have a great weekend. Uh, John's weekly rant. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I love the passion. I love the passion the man brings to the program. I have a headache. This is your wake-up call. Get on the phone, call Marcus Paul. Grab the phone, get on the line. Go tell the world what's on your mind. Don't believe me, just dial. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning. Alex in the Big Smoke. Ah, Chelios. Hello. Hello, how are you? Yeah, good, sorry. Very busy week on the show. We finally got to you. Uh, I think Friday's a better day anyway, to be honest, because uh, I think uh, people over the weekend need to get online and have a look at the the stories, uh, the quirkier side of some issues uh, on your brilliant website, thebigsmoke.com.au. You need to do it. Thank you. That's all right. Now, why do scientists now believe that coffee can wake us up? We can't actually improve cognitive function after all. So it'll wake us up, give you the hit, but it doesn't really wake you up. Yeah, so we we often think to ourselves, well, I've got to have a cup of coffee because I've got a big day ahead of me or I've got an exam to do or whatever it might be. So I'm going to have my coffee. Now, the truth is coffee does, our brains respond to coffee in terms of becoming more alert, but it doesn't respond to coffee in the same way as being able to minimize errors. So um, the researchers actually did a series of studies. Some people in the study were given a placebo, others were given caffeine, and both um, had the same sort of response to task-related activities. So it significantly improves um, task scores if you sleep well, not if you have a cup of coffee. Okay. What about this, the cutest finding that makes no difference to your life? (laughs) Monkeys have picked up accents when they want to blend in with other groups of monkeys. What? So it's similar to when humans pick up accents when they're in another country, for example. The difference is monkeys often have a different vocal flexibility. They often have frequency and duration of their tones and the way that they respond to each other and communicate. Mm -hmm. And researchers have found that much like humans, these species tend to understand each other and then regulate the way that they sound based on the circle that they're around. So it's a really interesting find that... While uh, monkeys have a limited repertoire of the way that they respond, they're actually slightly changing their their language or their accent, so to speak, based on who they're around and other groups of monkeys. Monkey see, monkey do. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. What's this uh, capture? A new capture forces users to play Doom instead of using a number or a letter combo to prove they are human. What? Uh, come so, on, you know I don't understand any of this, Alex. I, okay, so you know when you go into a website and before you can log in, they tell you to pick the traffic light or, or no. to select where the buses are. Sure. Before <clears throat> you put a password in. Okay. Okay, that's called capture. It's a way of deciding whether or not you're verifying that you're a human. Oh, yeah, so the thing that says I am not a robot. Yeah. So I'm sometimes it pops up and it says 
select the buses, and if you do that, that means you're a human. Oh, I'm with you now. Yes, yes, yes. Select yeah. all the buses that are in the square sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Ah. So that, that's one way of doing it to, to verify that you're a human. But a, an independent programmer has actually created capture tests that are made out of the game Doom. Right. So instead of having to select the traffic lights or the buses or select tick for being a human, mm. you actually have to gun down demons in a game to get through to the next round of the website. <laughs> All Thank right. You. Uh, yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, a cool new artificial intelligence system will start analysing social media accounts and rate them based on how likely they are to spread. Hey? Yes. Yeah, I love this. So this comes from MIT Lincoln's Laboratory. Mm-hmm. It's a program that can detect and analyse social media accounts. So if you're an account that's consistently promoting, you know, conspiracy theories, over time it will analyse your tweets or analyse your Facebook posts and then give you a rating. So the goal behind all of this is to be able to detect disinformation activities. Sure. This would work really well for YouTube channels that are quite popular, Instagram or Facebook accounts, where okay. they're, they're managing pages as opposed to personal accounts. So what will the ratings be? What will they start at? Well, it's more around is this person um, giving misinformation or not? Mm. Um, and then they have influence levels. So, for example, if you're somebody who is, you know, putting out a lot of science-based uh, you know, articles, they'll give you a 1.3 that you're doing well. If you're somebody who's promoting a lot of propaganda or, or conspiracy theories, you'd get like a 0.1. Um, and the people over time can determine whether or not to trust your content. All right, so if you're a Craig Kelly, you'll get a minus 5,000. Yeah, or a Pete Evans, yeah. Video calls sap our brains and de- deplete our energy. So now some officers are making a rule that certain calls should be voice call only. Yeah. This is based on the idea, I mean, you, you've heard of the term Zoom fatigue, which prior to COVID nobody ever mentioned now. before. I have now. Yeah, and people often talk about it. Now, the thing about Zooming or, or Skype, whatever video calls you do, mm. it's about eye-to-eye contact, and the brain processes that sort of invasion of space. Um, and so over time, it's very difficult for you to do multiple things. And then c- having communication cues with your colleagues, for example, on the, on the Zoom, it does zap a bit of energy. Oh. So there's an argument from a professor in Sweden who's talked about the fact that actually, while video calls can be cognitively draining, Audio calls could be a supplement. So we're not saying don't do any Zooms. We're saying if you don't need to, if you don't have more than two people on it, just make a phone call. Zoom. There was a song called Zoom. Have you heard of it? Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I don't know. I think that was an ad. No, no, you haven't. I don't know. Uh, All right, Alex, where do we go for all the details? Thebigsmoke.com.au. Good to chat. Catch you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Alex Chelios in The Big Smoke. Marcus Paul in the morning. Oh, I forgot to ask Alex, her favourite donut. I should have, on National Donut Day. Anyway, doesn't matter. I'll send her a message. Dr Karen Price is with us on the program to tell us all about Crazy Socks for Docs Day. So this is me today. Picture me a little later on when I get home. I'll be wearing odd socks to support the mental health of my local doctor while I'm chowing down on donuts. Morning to you, Doctor. Good morning. How are you? Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm well. Uh, look, if, if you're going to share a day with, uh, with anything, you might as well share it with donuts. That sounds all right. <laughs> Tell me about uh, Crazy Socks for Docs Day. What does it mean? How, does, how did it start? Well, it started with um, a cardiologist down here in Melbourne. And um, he, he went to work one day and he managed to have odd socks on. Oh, right. And, I do that every um, day. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, 
I think Bill Gates made a habit out of it, didn't he? Yeah. So, um, but instead of people asking whether or not he was okay, they sort of were, you know, perhaps uh, casting um, some kind of suspicion on whether or not um, he was okay. Instead of asking him, they just sort of uh, seemed to chat about it. And so, because he he actually had suffered some mental illness himself, right. yeah. he actually thought, look, this is stigmatising, and you know, why 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 shouldn't my colleagues be asking me? We're in the health professions, for goodness' sake. So. Uh, Kudos to Dr. Jeff Toogood in Melbourne. He started this and it's become an, an, an international sensation where today many doctors are wearing odd socks, colourful mm. socks, celebrating the fact that we can talk about our struggles, talk about the times when life gets too hard um, and to hopefully destigmatise um, presentations of um, not feeling great, not feeling well uh, in, a, in a mental health sense for doctors and, and so forth, including medical students. All right, so it's kind of like, are you OK, David, on your feet? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it starts with your feet and works all your way up to your head. Oh, look at that. Hey, <clears throat> that's a pretty good branding tool. Are you okay, Dave, for your feet? Just make sure they're not smelly. <clears throat> anyway, look, I'm, I'm, I digress. I don't mean to make light out of it, but we're talking about socks. And look, quite well, often... We're talking about socks, and it's not about the socks. It is about no, the, um, the level of mental health in doctors. We know that doctors routinely suffer... Uh, an enormous amount of burnout on a regular yeah. basis. Mm. We know that um, female uh, doctors, for instance, have a high rate of suicide. Oh um, you know, there are young doctors. I think in New South Wales, you had a uh, a couple of years ago a, a, a whole lot of young doctors who committed suicide, oh which is an absolute tragedy. Yeah. So these are the tragedies, and it isn't lighthearted, that we're trying to make sure don't happen. Yep. No, well said. Uh, where do we go for all the details? Uh, online, crazy socks for docs, you'll be hit and blasted with beautiful, colourful pictures. But really, it. the underlying message is take care out there. It is a tough world and uh, we all need to look after each other. Thank you, Doctor, for coming on. Appreciate it. And happy Crazy Socks for Docs Day for you. Thank you. All Thank the you best. very much. My bye-bye. pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. I like it. It's wonderful. I have odd socks on most days. That's because I fumble around first thing in the morning trying to find a pair. I just grab whatever I can. Marcus Paul in the morning got new sport and weather not far away. Oh, there she is. And bad influence. That was from that big album called Funhouse. Sold about a billion copies or something. She played about two billion concerts. And that was in Sydney alone. New sport and weather next today. 30. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, we'll check in with Chris Bowen very soon. Bowen's garage. The open line number. Uh, we'll check out the latest car review with our motoring guru, uh, Chris Bowen from bowensgarage.com.au very soon. Uh, right now, David, good morning to you, mate. David. Knock, knock. <laughs> Where are you? Knock, knock. Where have you been, David? Yes, knock, knock. Who's there? Candace. Oh, here we go. Candace who? 
can this door open or am I stuck here? And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, everything on the road with Bowen's Garage. Uh, hi, Bowie. Who's at the door? Not oh, Marcus. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, oh, hey, mate, I'm here to save the day. Great to be back on your program. Thank you very much. Are you a gambler? <laughs> my gambler? Yeah. No, no, not in terms of money. I've taken a few other gambles in my life, but no. No, okay. I just have you look at a story that just popped through, um, as I include you in my content here, before we talk about um, uh, mm. the latest motor vehicle you're gallivanting around in. More than $2.2 billion was lost to pokies in New South Wales pubs and clubs in the first four months of the year. It's incredible. I mean, at the end of the day, we've been out during the COVID period. Well, you know, I know things have improved a little bit, but we're talking about $1.5 million lost by gamblers each and every day in April. I mean, I haven't touched a poker machine since 2001 at the Central Coast Leagues Club. Oh, yes. But they are just, uh, uh, they're hypnotic, aren't they? It's actually quite sad when you walk in a pub, for example, and you Mm. see these people glued to them with the sounds and the lights and, you know, and the fact that you don't put money in them anymore. I mean, you're not seeing the cash disappearing. It's all coming off a card. I hate them. Well, they're talking about uh, cashless situations being trialled in New South Wales. Probably can't come a, a day sooner. A digital payment system that has harm minimisation measures like enforced breaks in play and spending limits. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's putting, uh, well, obviously the, the clubs and the pubs association aren't happy about that, but it's a part of a, a range of uh, suites and measures that are designed to, yeah. to clamp down on this. But, I mean, people people lose everything, including cars, Bowie. Well, I mean, there should be no different to the responsible serving of alcohol. You can't have a bike or a woman sitting in a car for 24 hours gambling. I mean, it shouldn't be allowed. Um, there should be better checks in place. But, Marcus, yes, I am here to talk about a very special car. What is it? It's the Hyundai Nexo. Ooh. What on earth is that? Well, this car is powered by hydrogen. Can you believe it? Yes. It's a fuel cell electric vehicle, basically. So it has three hydrogen tanks on board. It converts the uh, hydrogen gas into electricity and water. The electricity then powers the electric motor, and you can go 666 kilometres. The water goes out the exhaust pipe, and the only other emission is air, which is actually purified and cleaner than the air that got sucked into the whole system uh, for starters. So you purify the air as you drive along. It's a it's a wonderful piece of technology. Um, well, hydrogen powered vehicles uh, they are part of the future of motoring. Well, Marcus, one of the few big problems with hydrogen is it's obviously very explosive. So the CSRIO has worked on numerous ways to transport it and converting it on the site, for example, at a service station. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the future just yet. There's only one refuelling station in Sydney at Macquarie Park, Hyundai headquarters. The government at the moment has 20 in Canberra where there is a public refuelling site. You can't buy the Hyundai Nexo, basically. It's only for private buyers or government fleets. And then at the end of, you know, three years, Hyundai will take the cars back. They're very expensive at the moment. You're talking about a car that's priced probably just over 100000 No one really knows at the moment because it's, it's experimental. Mm. But it is the first certified mass-produced 
hydrogen car on our roads. And I was okay. lucky enough to drive it during the week. How'd it go? Mate, it's no different than driving an electric car. And, and I know that just about everyone hasn't driven an electric car, but the experience is essentially exactly the same. There's minimal noise. Um, you just waft along in complete silence. It's got a 156-litre uh, fuel tank on board, three yep. hydrogen tanks, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. It can fill up in five minutes, which is one of the major benefits sure. compared to an electric car. Um, but, look, we're a long way off, uh, a long way off. I think hydrogen technology will probably uh, first become much more widespread when it comes to transportation with trucks and, and things like that. But look, I mean, you know, Hyundai having a red hot go. They're also, you know, they're doing hybrids, plug-in hybrids, yeah. and electric cars, and now this. Um, I'm a fan. I really am. After a week in it, I would much rather drive a hydrogen vehicle than an electric car for some reason. I, I just think with better range and lower emissions, why not? I mean, you know, Fair but enough. once again, you know, hydrogen is one of the most abundant, you know, chemicals in the world. Without it, no one would be alive. Um, at the end of the day, though, you need to convert the hydrogen into energy. So it's the same as electricity. You need to do it via a renewable you know, source like you know, wind and, and all those sorts of things, solar yep. panels and the like. All right. Um, but, yeah, I'm a huge fan. For a look at it and uh, to see how it went, and for Bowie's review, where do we go? Uh, go to bowensgarage.com.au. There's a full video there as well. We're also going to discuss it on our new podcast, on new podcast with a lovely girl, Brooke. Yes. The Bowen and Brooke Show. Mm-hmm. She knows nothing about cars. I know a little bit about cars, and in between we try and make sense of all that. <laughs> and remember, what, what do you say? Subscribe. If you don't subscribe, I won't survive, Marcus. Have a great weekend, Bowie. Talk next week. Will do. Catch you then. Bye. Our motoring expert, Chris Bowen. Everything you need to know now. Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM. All right, just uh, something serious now. Uh, There are concerns for Brittany Higgins' welfare. Uh, I've uh, got a note here from her partner, David, who uh, is an old producer of mine uh, from Canberra. Brittany has been hospitalised. After months of sustained political pressure over the alleged Parliament House rape, the former Liberal staffer has been taken to hospital to protect her welfare in Brisbane. Her partner, David Shiraz, has confirmed that she was recovering and receiving the support she needs after months of sustained political pressure. I wish both of them all the very best. I really do. 13, 12, 69, if you'd like to have you say. Look, you only have to talk to someone who takes Arbor Vitae to realise how it can help you manage arthritis and other aches and pains. Arbor Vitae consumers swear by it. And you can see for yourself what they are saying. If you want to check it out, go to Facebook, Arbor Vitae, their page. People who use the product are voluntarily leaving their honest comments. And there are plenty of them raving about it. It's got a pleasant berry flavour. Arbor Vitae lives up to its name, which it takes from the Latin word arbor, meaning tree, and vitae meaning life. And for thousands of happy customers, that's exactly what it is, tree of life. In the last two years, Arbor Vitae has grown from a distribution network 
of around 100-odd retail outlets to now being available due to popular demand in over 900 chemist and health food stores nationwide. Always read the label. Use only as directed, and if symptoms persist, as always, consult your healthcare professional. Now, if you want to order some, go online. Or to find the location of your nearest Arbor Vitae distributor, just go to arborvitae.com.au or you can phone Arbor Vitae on 1300 879 863. That's 1300 879 863. Uh, 12 minutes away from 9. We'll be back to wrap up the program very soon. 13 12 69 is the open line number. All the news you need. Marcus Paul in the morning. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Give Marcus a call. 13 12 69. All right, that's almost it for us today. The John Laws Morning Show, not too far away at 9 o'clock. Uh, if you want to call Lawsy, 1300 564652 and thefortress.johnlaws.com.au for your emails. Uh, now, up on our site today uh, for you to have a listen back to or to hear for the first time if you missed our conversation this morning. It was a pretty important one for regional areas of the state. The big banks are using the cover of COVID-19 to close regional branches and abandon rural communities. Decentralisation Minister Andrew Gee joined me on the program and we discussed why this is happening and the effects it's having as branches for the Commonwealth Bank in particular, despite the fact that they you know, made billions and billions of dollars in profit in the last financial year, you know, they're closing branches in places like Molong and Blaney. And unfortunately for those communities, they are left with nowhere to do their personal banking. Okay, they can go to the local uh, post office. They can line up if they want, all the rest of it. Still not the same. Still not the same. And what is happening in these communities is the main streets are dying because the banks are going. If people aren't going to go to the main street of Molong or Blaney to the local bank to do their business... They're not going to shop at the local supermarket because they're having to go elsewhere to Orange or elsewhere, some other bigger regional centre, to do what they need to do. It's no good. It's a problem we'll continue to discuss here on Marcus Paul in the morning. Seven to nine now. This is brand new for Taylor Swift. I love it. It's called Mr Perfectly Fine. Mr Perfect if it's happening in New South Wales today, you'll hear about it on Marcus Paul in the Morning. All the news and views. Breakfast with Marcus Paul on 2SM. 2SM. News. Sport. Talk. 1269. All right, we'll try that again. I don't know what happened to Taylor. She decided to stop halfway through the song. So we'll play it out. Um, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Justin will keep peddling away out there to keep things going. And you have a wonderful weekend. The John Law's Morning Show is next. Ciao.